Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, one of the technical editors here at Bike Radar. And joining me today, we've got two people. We've got Matthew Leverage. He is our senior writer at Bike Radar. How's it getting on, Matthew? Not bad at all, Tom. Excellent. And we've got Will Sof as well, MBK's latest recruit. How's it going, Will? Oh, very well, thank you. Yes. Excellent. I saw you were out and about yesterday at Bike Park Wells doing some photos with the MBK gang. What were you up to? Uh, yes, yeah, so we went to Bike Park Wales and had the place to ourselves as they're closed on Tuesday, which was which was very nice. And uh, we had the amazing Mr. Steve Bear taking some fantastic shots. And mm-hmm. we had a play with a few new things that uh, are going to be seen, uh, tested in the mag. So like uh, a tow rope for an e-bike for one. All right. And uh, yeah, lots of bits of swanky new kit. Nice. How about you, Matthew? What have you been doing? Uh, a bit of testing, a lot of watching the Tour de France, which, uh, mm. if this turns out to be a very mountain bike-centric podcast, probably won't interest the listeners at all. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a lot of, you know, as we know, there's there's a particularly uh, good mountain biker who happens to be uh, racing the Tour de France to, I guess, earn his crust. Um, but um, it's, it's early doors in the Tour at the moment. I think we're about to have day six uh, is today. Uh, but Matteo van der Poel is in yellow. Um, and he obviously is a mountain biker. So, uh, yeah, there's some mountain bike interest in there. By the time you hear this, of course, anything could have happened because we don't know exactly when this podcast is going out. Mm. My my little interest with, and I'm just going to do a little bit of Tour de France chat just out of interest because I do really like it. Everyone sort of seems to be writing Van der Poel off as definitely not a GC contender. Um, despite the fact that a week in he's still yellow jersey, why is he? Why is he not a yellow jersey contender? GC, 
Um, he's not, I think, the kind of guy who's going to be able to win stages in like the big mountains. So he's like okay. an incredibly strong rider, and and we saw in a time trial that he's, you know, he can turn his hand to anything. But I I just don't see him competing with like the little specialist climbers um, mm. who can do the whole the whole thing. But who knows? I mean, it's it's been a really good tour so far. I've really enjoyed mm. it. Yeah. Um, obviously, as, as I said, when this pod goes out, the tour will probably be well finished. Um, so we'll know who the winner is, and it probably wasn't Vanderpool. But hey, there you go. Have you been watching it at all, Will? Uh, I haven't, I'm afraid. All I've been seeing no. is the, uh, the the highlights that come up and, uh, yeah, the memes. So I've been enjoying mm-hmm. that a lot, but no, I haven't been Some captain. great memes. Oh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> top memes. Um, no, I, I've been busy watching uh, the EWS. I've been watching the yep. World Cup Downhill and Crankwork. So after a very quiet 2020, we've been spoilt for choice with uh, some mm. really cool events. So yeah, I've been yeah, I mean, been wall to wall with that. This weekend upcoming is uh, Leger World Cup. Um, so I think the track walk was yesterday. We're recording on Thursday, the 1st of July. So track walk was yesterday. Today's practice. Uh, quali tomorrow, race on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a track looks proper gnarly. Like it looks wicked, yeah, doesn't it? It looks amazing. It looks like a rider's track. Um, everyone I've seen who's walked it, and you know they've all got a big smile on their face. They all look excited, um, and yeah, ready to do some proper downhill. Yeah, and then of course Sunday is um, the cross country as well. So that'll be kicking off today with sort of practice, and there'll be the um, short course to XC today, I guess, or tomorrow, won't it? Tomorrow probably. Yeah, I'm not not exactly sure on on, on the on the timing of that now. Hmm. So if you um if you are into the mountain bikes though um you, well the, we uh, by the time this goes out we will have also done a podcast on the tech from the World Cup downhill. Um, so I know sort of our, our tech guys, including yourself, will are going to have some eagle eyes um, out on the racing. Just sort of have a look at what's been happening over the past couple of races in terms of downhill uh, race tech. Uh, and there is a pod. Already published, but not yet recorded. Um, if you listen to this down in a few weeks' time, so um, yeah, have a listen out for that because it should be quite interesting. Right, I think we're going to crack on with today's podcast. Which, uh, if you've seen the title of the podcast, will hopefully make it fairly obvious. But we want to know: Do you need to have a van? Now, this is obviously a fairly more a little bit maybe more relevant to our mountain bikers because generally speaking people don't live next to mountain bike trails quite so much most people do live next to a road so maybe road cyclists you know a lot of them do drive to trails uh, to roads i know i drive sometimes when i go road riding or gravel riding um but mountain bikers do tend to drive a little bit more so we're going to talk about vans we're going to talk about car racks as well because actually a lot of people don't want to live with a van and then i think we're going to have a look at you know some of the vehicles that we've been driving uh, and we want to drive going forward for cyclists because we're all we're all into cars, really, aren't we? Definitely, yeah. I think uh, there'll be talk of cylinders and pistons and other exciting things like that. Yeah, excellent. I'm also a massive car geek, so yeah, I think we're we're, we're looking forward to the chance to all channel our, our our inner automotive petrol head. Excellent. I mean, this is an audio um, experience as a podcast. If it was video, you might be able to see behind my head is a uh, a little picture. Uh, which my friends got me for my 30th birthday, which was lovely. But it's a um, an artist rendition of all my previous vehicles, most of which were um, shonky in various ways. Uh, but we'll talk about those a little bit later on. But yeah, let's kick off with the main question. Do you need a van? As a cyclist, do you need a van? Will, you've got a van, so clearly the answer is yes. Uh, well, I am very, very pleased with my van. 
Um, I've only had two vans in my life. And before that, I was full on uh, estate car life, which Mm -hmm. was great and had many upsides. Uh, But since getting a van, uh, which is not a true camper van, it's a day van, uh, I haven't really looked back and it has made my mountain biking life uh, a lot easier in many ways. Okay. Um, And what is your, your day van? Uh, what have you got? So at the moment, I have a, a VW Transporter, not to uh, mm-hmm. fall Classic into any cliches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and before that, I had a Citroen Relay that can also uh, best be described as shonky. And I'd love to say I <laughs> sold that to a happy owner, but unfortunately, it went to the big scrapyard in the sky. What a shame. What a shame. Okay, now, Matthew, um, I know you don't have a van. You've got an estate car. Come on, then, let's uh, let's hear the pros for that. Um. This is a tricky one for me because I think, you know, if 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 you're a serious mountain biker particularly, a van is kind of the obvious choice because you can just sling bikes into it. Uh, but yes, I choose an estate car because I don't like vans, don't like the aesthetic particularly. I'd rather drive a car. Um, and an estate is pretty much the best trade-off because you can have something, if you like cars, and as we say, we all like cars here, then an estate car offers the best combination of driving experience and practicality i think mm-hmm. uh having said that i have a relatively sporty estate car it's a bmw 325i um and it's actually not that practical because the boot isn't that big or tall and as a result when i am transporting bikes i tend to put them on the roof unless it's just one bike and i can just put it in the back mm-hmm. but yeah getting Getting whole bikes into a car like that is actually not particularly convenient. Um, and the risk of damage to both car and bicycle is not insignificant. Do you regret buying a sporty estate instead of an actually practical estate? Because you basically just bought a car that's not fit for purpose. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, I love it. It's a really nice car to drive. I've taken it across Europe up to scotland it's it's really nice um it it's a lot more fun than my previous car which was a ford focus estate but the focus bless its rusty heart was a whole lot better at bike hauling because the main difference actually i noticed the height of the boot inside Mm -hmm. and some estate cars are great for that so something like a focus a mondeo a skoda superb or something they're quite tall but then you get into the sportier estates and there's a real compromise because to create those svelte lines, they cut the roof line right down. Mm. Um, and in the case of a BMW, it's rear wheel drive. So the drivetrain is occupying space underneath. It might otherwise be a uh, boot space. So, yeah, I go back and forth. I fantasize <laughs> about Skoda Yetis, which is a weird thing to do when you own a nice BMW. <laughs> it is. Fair. Okay. Um well, you've got a you've got a day van, so that basically means it's 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 kind of like a van, but kind of like a camper van, but kind of either or. Does that what, what's the benefit of going down the day van thing as opposed to like a full on van? Was that just because you wanted something to make a cup of tea in? Or? Um, well, I guess I'd say a day van is like you've you've done some things inside to make it mm. something that you want to be in, but it doesn't have amenities that a camper van has, like mm. hob toilet shower fridge it's it's just still just a van but with some bits of wood in to make it more civilized so yeah Mm. mine was just purely for downhill racing i wanted a bed in it 
Um, yeah. And then, because it's a long wheelbase, I've also been able to put a small workbench in the middle with a vice. And then it's hmm. got things in it like a leisure battery, split charge relay, inverter. So I can use a Dremel if I want to cut any bolts down or anything like that. Um, Does that happen a lot, Will? Yeah, it did a bit. I, I do some suspension <laughs> setup stuff and, you know, occasionally you're you're figuring out what will fit in certain places and playing with angle sets and offset bushes. And yeah, yeah, it can be a really useful thing to have. But essentially the van is modelled around having bikes in the back without having to take the wheels off, which was mm. something I didn't want to compromise on. And can you get a downhill bike in the back? Because the thing I've always found with downhill bikes, not that I ride them a lot, but... Um, is obviously because it's got a uh, triple clamp or a fork or a dual crown fork, you can't mm. turn the bars particularly easily. Getting mm. wheels in and out of them is a pain in the ass as well. Like, So is, is your van sort of pretty well set up for downhill bikes? Yeah, so it's got three slots, I guess you'd call it, in the back to put bikes in. And mm. if you want to fit a downhill bike in, you do have to put it on a bit of a diagonal. So if you're mm. putting three downhill bikes in, you would have to take the front wheel off. But mm. you can get one downhill bike in all fully ready to go. Mm, nice. Well, I've got um, I've got a Volkswagen Caddy Maxi combi, for the detail, um, which is sort of I guess in between the two. It's 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 kind of like a car because it's not like a big old transporter, but it's kind of like a van because it's got a big open space. I don't have the rear seats in there, so it's got um, it's got a load space of over six foot. It's about a two meter load space, so you can very easily get full bikes in there. Um, and kind of the width of it is good. You know, I can very easily get six bikes in the back with the wheels off. I've got like a little uh, little system of of racking them in there, and I guess a bit like I kind of did a bit of stuff on the inside. So I've got um, a leisure battery in there. Was I've got lighting, um, like a fast charger USB thing, bits and pieces like that. So I guess I've gone for the the middle ground. Um, it's good. It's not perfect. Sometimes like the if you've got a full bike in there and you turn the handlebars to get a bit more space, the 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 handlebar sort of rotates up and hits the roof, so the, the ceiling's not quite high enough, but um, very handy. Um, if we if we're going back to sort of the cars, then I mean I think we can agree that if you are going to drive a long way uh, or drive quite often for for riding, and you can just get away with it, a van is super useful. But let's assume that most people don't actually want to live with a van as a daily. Let's talk racks, um, Matthew. What are the sort of there's there's three main sort of systems for racking, right? Uh, reef racks. Um, yeah tailgate racks and tow bar racks i guess those go. are the three you were thinking of right yeah just to make sure yeah yeah um so the the simplest cheapest option is usually one of those horrible tailgate racks which mm. are very effective for carrying a couple of bikes if you're sticking them on the back of like a family hatchback for example but they usually involve resting against your paint and often they'll have little straps that need to hook around the tailgate and the risk of damage to your car is quite high. So if you are a little bit precious about it, not ideal. And also if you get the attachment wrong, they do come off sometimes and you'll hear horror mm. stories about people dragging half secured bikes along motorways. Uh, on the other hand, you know, they're very cheap racks like that. Um, and they are better for fuel economy than having bikes on the roof, which absolutely murders your fuel economy. I was really shocked because so i i use a roof rack system on my estate car um with you know aerodynamic good quality crossbars and and i mostly use a yakima uh it's a yakima high road rack that lets you keep the bike fully intact uh but i once drove to scotland with two bikes on the roof 
Um, and so in a car over a long journey, my petrol guzzling BMW, I would hope would get over 30 miles to the gallon, maybe 32 on a real run. Uh, and I did, I did 26 miles to the gallon all the way to Scotland. Wow. It was, I mean, so that, that was, that was bad. <laughs> you like it. That's like a 15, 20% reduction in fuel economy. Yeah, it seemed particularly extreme. I don't know if I had a headwind as well, but <laughs> it wasn't mm. ideal. Um, so yeah, but the for many people, the kind of gold standard solution is a tow ball mounted system because you can put quite a lot of load on them. They're really secure, very substantial, but there's a bit more kind of hardware involved in the expense of getting set up, if, particularly if you don't have a tow bar on your car already can be like mm. serious money and for the whole setup so tow bar and rack you could easily spend over a thousand pounds if you're starting from scratch yeah whereas i guess with um a, a rear boot mounted rack you know you could be talking a hundred quid really for you know a basic one yeah. from likes of like from halfords or amazon or whatever you know they're not expensive. yeah even a even a relatively premium one of those is not going to be more than two or three hundred quid typically um roof mm. racks can be anything like the really basic budget option is like square steel roof bars which are really unaerodynamic and cheap and nasty and you can buy a set of those for 50 pounds or something but then the racks themselves cost real money um like a decent rack is the better part of 200 pounds per bike if they're individual bike racks quite often mm -hmm. so yeah it really adds up i guess um the roof racks I guess roof racks have the benefit of being relatively secure as well from a security point of view. They tend to have more locking or easy, you know, most of the ones I see have sort of locks on them, um, which I guess is... You, you mean secure in the sense of theft? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them from the major manufacturers like Tula and Yakima, they have some sort of like cable lock type system built in, but they're still only really a deterrent system. I would never leave a yeah. nice bike locked that way in like a car park in a service station for example and that's that's another downside of having bikes outside your vehicle is that they are vulnerable and i know that some racks even when they're locked you can just like twist the bike violently and the thing will like pop open so they're really not to be depended on i'd say mm -hmm. what about you well what's your what's your take on on racks when we you know, when you see the, the roof racks in, in particular, and I guess to some extent, uh, turbo mountain ones, they, they tend to either grab hold of the wheels or they have clamps that go on the down tube. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a perfect solution, but it seems seems pretty good. Uh, I've had some really good experiences with towball mounted racks. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're, they're quite easy to, to fit, uh, just to put them on the car straight out of the garage, which is nice compared to a boot lid one. Uh, obviously, with a heavy mountain bike or downhill bike or e-bike it's much easier to lift the bike on than trying to lift it onto the roof of your car um uh, and and as uh, as matthew said it doesn't mess with your aero as much so yeah i think there's a yeah. lot to be said for that um in the past i've had some some small estate cars like a golf estate um at a, a sat estate as well which is a slightly larger estate car and i usually put the bikes in the back and then i'd you know, if I was putting two in, I'd put a bike down, then a blanket, then another bike, then a blanket. So mm. even if people figure out you've got a bike in the back, they can't figure out if it's a good one or if it's a cheap one. And then you've got all the normal security of, of you know, just your, your car and your door locks and your alarms. So as much as I completely take Matthew's point that you can damage your interior, 
um, it does mean that you've got more security. Mm. You raised an interesting point just then actually about the weight of bikes um, and e-bikes especially. There are often weight limits for a lot of these racks, both in terms of, you know, if you put them on a tow bar and you've got an e-bike at the back of, say, a three-bike rack, that's actually putting a lot of weight and a lot of force through the tow bar, which you know may or may not be sort of rated for. Likewise, putting them on a roof, not only you've got the issue of, of lugging a 20-odd kilo bike above your head onto potentially quite an expensive car with if you've got nice paint on there and you've got some flat pedals with some pins in, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it's, it, it's tricky. Matthew. Yeah. The, the weight thing's a really good point, actually. I mean, I'm mostly transporting road and gravel bikes around, so they're typically no more than 10, 11 kilos at the most, but a lot of good quality racks are limited to around 18, 20 kilos. And like you say, any mountain bike can easily be, 23 25 mm. kilos depending on how burly it is um so yeah it's just not practical and you really don't want to exceed that limit i'd say um and also as you say that lifting bikes like that above your head if you've got a car like mine that's relatively low that's quite doable but if you're talking about like a crossover or an suv or something you'll probably struggle to get the bike up there at all for a roof rack mm. i've seen people in the in the forest of dean with little um fold out steps they they take along. I mean, the other option is obviously the um uh you know the step plate the you know below the door sort of thing in the door openings, but it's it's not exactly the most ergonomic of um of situations. I wouldn't have thought. Of course, the gold standard solution for mountain bikers is obviously to buy an enormous pickup truck and sling <laughs> a downhill bike over the tailgate, isn't it, guys? <laughs> it's definitely a good look. Have you have you done that before, Will? <laughs> No, I haven't. I've, I've never owned a pickup. It's definitely a hole in my right. car history there. But I know plenty of people who, uh, yeah, have the, the tailgate pad and put theirs and their mates' bikes over the back and go mm-hmm. and do some shuttle runs. Yeah, I remember going out with Chris Porter on some shuttle runs with some of his geometrons once uh, and doing that. Uh, you feel very, like, like bro, you know, like very North American cool uh yeah, I don't know. People used to say that, that it caused a lot of issues for like um, like the head tube bearer on a bike. I don't know how, how true that is or not. I don't know. I think the, ah. the tailgate pads are pretty good, to be honest. Like from, from the way they're designed now, you know, you can strap the bike down, provide plenty of padding, and obviously complete the look. You're showing everyone you're a mountain biker. <laughs> and it has to be branded, right? Like it can't just be generic oh, yeah, tailgate yeah. pad. It's got to be race face, do them. Who else do them? Is it a uh, Dakine? I never try to pronounce that. Is it Dakine? Dakine, Dakine, Dakine. I'm really embarrassed to say I don't know how you say it because I'm not a bro. We should, we should know. <laughs> uh, Evoc as well, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Um, have we done consumer advice then? Is that any closing thoughts on, on other than buy a van? Any other sort of uh, hot takes? I think make your life easy is uh, <laughs> good advice or or just don't carry bikes and cars and as much as possible ride your bicycle to where you're going to ride it yeah Mm. i think that's definitely good green advice um i think what i would say is tailor your automotive solution for bike carrying to how often you ride so for me like working for the mag and riding every weekend multiple times a week having something that set my life up for mountain biking was like absolutely crucial Whereas mm. if you are a mountain biker who rides once a month, which still means you are perfectly valid as a mountain biker, you may want to get something like a 
an estate car which is better on fuel and more fun to drive, as Matthew says, the rest of the time, uh, and then make the compromise with the rack. So it does depend what kind of a mountain biker you are, I think. Yeah, especially, you know, if, you, if you're dailying around, like why would you drive a, a two-ton van with a heavy diesel engine, you know, if, you, if you're just commuting a few miles to work or, you know, doing your shopping, picking up the kids and that is, as I say, I think it's worth considering the rest of your, um, the rest of your uh, life's activities, which yeah. I'm sure people do. I can, people don't just I can promise you a 90 horsepower Volkswagen Transporter leaves a lot to be desired from a, a, a driver's uh, perspective. Should we move on to um, some of our uh, our past mistakes? Go on then, Tom. You've probably got the most of those. Uh, I have a few past mistakes. What did I start off? I started off my, my first car, actually, in complete contrast to vans and big estates, was a Ford Ka, um, which is a little go kart, probably one of the smallest cars on the road at any one time. Um, but actually, I was surprised at how, as long as you, I didn't really care about the car. Um, I bought it from a girlfriend, um, and I learned to drive in that car, actually. If you don't care about the car, you can do remarkable things with a car. <laughs> um, like stabbing your interior with, like, mechs and, like, pedal pins. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, if you, yeah, it wasn't worth nothing. Um, I had, uh, me and the girlfriend actually had a tandem, um, and I managed to, you could strap the tandem to the roof. I had some, like, pretty crap. <laughs> roof bars um so we used to travel around bits of scotland with a tandem strapped down with um ratchet straps and bungee cords oh um, my god you must tandem have, itself was you must have had the front wheel the, yeah hanging the over the windscreen yeah. and the, the back wheel sticking out past the back of the car didn't you it's pretty ropey it wasn't the best design uh, idea ever that's impressive also at one point <laughs> at one point it was when i was at uni we had like a, a uni trip um somewhere in scotland and we had uh, three people in the car with three bikes in the car and kit for three days for three people in the car managed to squeeze everything inside that Ford Ka, which um, it did mean you know right, we removed forks, obviously wheels, deflated all the tires, handlebars, everything was like stripped to the minimum. But we got we got across Scotland there. You're satisfying a, an important condition there of like being an authentic mountain biker and that you have much more value in bicycles than in car. Um, because that's that's the goal, isn't it? You want, you want to be like a ratio of, I don't know, three to one at least maybe between <laughs> the ratio, the value. So £3,000 bike on the roof, £1,000 horrible shed car. I think, I think I took that to the extreme. You know, I didn't have, I had a, yeah, in my, oh context in my gap year i worked in a factory for a year and bought a very nice um custom built still hardtail and at the time i had a roll half rear hub um which thankfully i don't have anymore but actually the rear hub of that bike was worth more than the car so there we go um but for yeah following on from that you know i, I had a, a, a polo estate at one point which i thought was pretty cool um i was told it had been a former police car um which is why it had been slammed um, but I think actually it was just a former um, car from someone who just wanted to have a really badly slammed Polo estate. Actually, I really, I really liked that car. I had it for a little while, um, and then I went. I did the van thing straight after that. So I had a, a, a an ex post office for Transit. Um, and the best thing about that van was 
I mean, it was speed limited. Oh, God, Matthew, do you remember coming back from North Wales once? I remember, Tom. <laughs> I mean, it was soon after I'd bought the van and we were coming, myself and Matthew being at a seal skins launch, I think, near Snowdon. And we were driving back to Bristol in my van and there was like a long straight downhill with a straight, like a straight at the bottom of the valley or something like that. So you could see for miles and there was two cars going slightly slower than I wanted to go. Um, they were probably doing 58 in a 60 and I thought, you know what, I'm going to overtake them. So I hit the accelerator downhill. We started overtaking the first car, I got past that and I thought I'll stay out into the oncoming traffic lane um, for the second car. Um, and it was at this point, I, I guess I realised that post office vans are speed limited to 67 miles an hour. And we were going glacially slow past this second car whilst cars were coming the other way. <laughs> it was a very close run that thing. That was genuine. Just for, for context, this was about probably no more than three weeks after I started my job. <laughs> and my life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> and honestly... That's in the top two scariest things that's ever happened to me in a vehicle. <laughs> I, think, I think when I look back on it, it was probably one of the most scary things in my life as well. Um, but the, the good thing about that van, okay, obviously, is, you know, it's a van, I could stick loads of bikes in it. It was really easy, X, Y, Z. But because, again, it was knackered, I, I, you could just bang it up curbs. You could rally it around like dirt roads, dirt tracks, through fords, all sorts. Um, it was amazing. Until the um, the synchro went um, in it, just as I was driving my then girlfriend to the airport for a flight, um, so I had to uh, suggest that she very quickly found a taxi uh, to get to the airport. Um, but yeah, that was super useful. And then from there, um, I'm, I'm doing my whole history in one go. I'm so sorry. Um, there I went to the Volkswagen Caddy Maxi Combi, which is great, big engine, cruise control, very comfortable. And I then slammed it because. Why wouldn't you? Um, to you make hate it, practical vehicles. Hate practical vehicles. It's made it more aerodynamic, uh, but less comfortable um, and also less good at speed bumps. But that's fine. Uh, but also had um, a Mark 1 Golf Caddy. Um, yeah, a Mark 1 Caddy. Um, so basically a Golf Pickup, which I'm sure um, it was cool, <laughs> but it didn't work very well. What did you learn? What was your, your great takeaway from all this experience, Tom? My great takeaway is, A, don't buy very old cars that have been very badly maintained in the previous 15 owners before me, um, as the V5 revealed uh, once I'd bought it. Don't buy them. Um, especially don't buy them if you've got absolutely no mechanical knowledge of looking after vehicles either. Um, but definitely um, vans is something that I, I, I can't see me not owning a van going forward. Just the practicalities of it are just so much, so much better, I think, for me. How do you feel about the obviously like I know that we share something of an interest in electric vehicles and mm. you know it's quite an exciting field, but as you both own vans, like how do you feel about the future of vans and electric vehicles and what's gonna happen? Are you gonna be replacing your vans with electric ones next time round? I think I mean I uh, I I really want an electric van, like desperately want an electric van. And I think it'll be a couple of years off before 
one might be able to afford them. And, and currently, the, the electric van space isn't exactly dripping with lots of options. I think some of the better ones at the moment, there's um, the is it Citroen, Peugeot, and Vauxhall. They all share a, a common um, powertrain sort of system. Uh, the e-combo, the dispatch, and the relay, I think it is. Um, and with the biggest battery option, which I think is a 75 kilowatt one, you're looking at about, in ide- ideal conditions, 250-ish mile range, which is pretty good. You know, a lot of obviously EVs are coming in now, like car-based ones with up to a 3, 320 mile range. Um, the issue, I think, that electric vans have for the mountain biker, so to speak, or, or the cyclist is if we assume that you can comfortably drive for two hours without stopping, which I think is a fair assessment. Um, you know, I could drive two hours to somewhere in Wales to go ride, um, probably what, 120 miles, something like that, go for a ride for the day and then drive home again, not needing to stop. If the dream range is 250 miles, and the realistic range in winter when it's cold, you know, X, Y, Z is 200 miles max. What I don't think you want to do is, is having to stop halfway home just to charge for half an hour to get home. The issue is that obviously a lot of the places where you go mountain biking don't have charging facilities, you know, not to single out, you know, like Bike Park Wells, Forest of Dean, Kumkarnavan, they tend not to have charging facilities because the infrastructure just isn't there yet and the cost for them to have that is obviously probably quite prohibitive and so i think until you have a realistic four hour driving range personally it's just not enough to work for my particular needs how about you will are you excited for evs um i'm a little bit of an electric skeptic um i feel like perhaps hydrogen is a more uh convenient solution for the everyman uh, so my van will do 600 miles to a tank, which is probably because it's got absolutely no horsepower at all. So it's quite frugal, um, which is very useful. Um, and I think not to digress too much into the car sort of realm, because this is the Bike Radar podcast. But yeah, I think possibly charging solutions at home could be a problem for a lot of people. Uh, I think we're assuming it. it seems like perhaps quite a, a posh person's mm. solution to be able to have a driveway and charge your car. And there's plenty of people who live in terraced houses and I don't know what they're going to do, like get extension cords out or yeah, whether the government put in charging stations and you're going to have to put in your, your identity number. I don't really know how it's going to work, but yeah, it's nice that it's obviously greener, but I think we're not there with the network and I think we're not there with the technology and I don't know when we will be really i think it's a certainly a growth area but yeah we'll we'll have to see what the future brings and also if you're spending all your money on mountain bikes and driving sheds then evs are probably quite a long way away (laughs) can you imagine the mountain bike you'd have to have to be more expensive than your ev yeah yeah i think i'll keep my uh i keep my mountain bike electric and my van diesel maybe that's the way to go controversial i think um looking very long range there's lots of potential for exciting things to happen um like we've seen interesting like pickup truck designs and stuff and because of the fact that most evs are based on a totally like flat skateboard chassis where the the batteries and the powertrain are all combined into something that doesn't have kind of sticky up bits because there's no engine 
um, then there's potential to do really cool things with cargo vehicles where you've got like cargo space mm. in front of the driver, behind the driver, underneath the driver. Uh, but yeah, this is all very kind of long range. Um, at the moment, the cheapest electric car you can buy is like an old Nissan Leaf or something for four grand, but it's probably not the most exciting of vehicles out there. I guess a lot of people, you know, like there's, there's that whole thing, do you need an exciting vehicle? I guess we all like, you know, I like driving. Okay, I drive a van, but it's it's a sports van. But, yeah, I guess if, if you're not interested in sort of the, the fun aspect of driving, I guess it's not really matter, I don't know. I mean, the other thing, I guess, you know, with EVs, like we went talked to talked about earlier on with, when we were talking about racks, is that the aero efficiency of EVs is incredibly high. You know, they're, they're so slippery, you know, slippery. The designs of them, you know, they spent a lot of money making them as aerodynamic as possible in order to maximise that range because there is so much range anxiety with an EV. Slapping a bike on the top of that. It's not it's a quite counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, the other thing with EVs is that there's actually not many estates out there. There's um, MG have... Is it the MG5 or what they call it? But you know they have an estate car, but the rest of them are basically say crossovers or saloons, hatchbacks, that sort of thing. Yeah, which is a reflection of seemingly what the car market wants, but doesn't necessarily match the needs of cyclists particularly well. God damn them! Why are they not thinking about us? Actually, that reminds me. Um, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember this, Skoda made one of its... Skoda's a brand that's been heavily involved in cycling over the years, particularly mm. via the sponsorship of things like the Tour. Uh, and they made a car for cyclists, in quotes, mm. which was basically one of their regular family crossovers rammed with gadgets associated to cyclists. So it had bike racks, obviously, one of which was internal, but it also had a washing machine in the boot for your kit, um, wow. a coffee maker, a drone so that you could film stuff. And it was, I wrote a great article about it on biteradar.com, which you should read. Um, mm. And I came away from it thinking, obviously it's quite gimmicky. Um, and many of those things don't really make sense in the real day to day, because actually I don't need to wash my kit when I'm just going to a trail center for the day in the car and the problem was that if you wanted to use that vehicle as a family car it was massively compromised because they'd filled all the cargo space with these accessories mm. and i think it had lost one of its passenger seats as well but at the same time wouldn't it be nice if car makers put more effort into thinking about like specific activities like cycling i think um was it the Vauxhall corsa or the ford fiesta i think it was a corsa they did one with, with an integrated um, bike rack in the back of That's it. That's it, yeah, the Corsa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there have been, been a few. I think, uh, I want to say Toyota, either Toyota or Honda, or possibly both of them have done things with like a pull-out bike rack. Um, some of them, I don't know if they made it on concept stage. Mm. But at the same time, like how many people buy a car solely with cycling in mind? And that, from the point of view of the car manufacturers is obviously the issue mm. um you do get the really bad like special edition tie-ins as well where you buy like a nice bmw and then you get a horrible <laughs> bicycle with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> or a porsche moving away from sort of the more sensible things very quickly well i know you've got like a little um we we're talking about estate bmw estates um you sent me a picture the other day have you ever taken your bike in your other car uh, I've taken a BMX in there, but it's it's a bit small, really. Um, 
Yeah, like my car history's got a few estates in there. Like my first ever car was a Volkswagen Passat estate. And uh, because I've got three sisters, my mum and dad put a rearward facing seat in the boot. So I actually had a three bike rack on the roof, a four bike rack on the back and seven <laughs> seats. So I was able to do the best road trips because all my friends Amazing. had little hatchbacks. So that was cool. Um, and then, yeah, I progressed through a number of cars before I got vans. So, yeah, I got a bit a bit hooked on the driving experience and that's something I really do enjoy. But that's got to be something you mix with practicality. So perhaps the ideal solution is to have something that is economical and fun to drive and a van. But mm. perhaps if you can't do that, then a good compromise is, is what Matthew's got, a, a sporty-ish estate. We've done sort of the practical side of things. Let, let's talk dream cars for a minute. Will, what's your, um, what's your dream motor? I think my dream motor would have to kind of tick all the boxes, really. So be fun to drive, um, be able to get out of a muddy car park at a mountain bike race. We've, we've all been there. Um, well, perhaps you haven't, Matthew, but yeah, there's, there's some pretty gnarly uh, car park setups. So probably something like um, an Audi RS4 estate or even mm. an Audi RS6 estate would be cool. Hundreds of horsepower, four-wheel drive, looks quite cool, fun to drive. Uh, not particularly green, but it'd certainly be exciting. Um, or perhaps for the for the mountain biker out there, there's there's a VW Transporter rolling around with Audi RS6 running gear. So I think it's six or seven hundred horsepower. So that, <laughs> that's completely ridiculous, but very cool. Matthew, I find it hard to look past the fancy estates as well. Um, the slightly roughy tuftier looking ones are always quite cool. I mean, if you don't care about running costs or anything, then one of the uh, slightly the all-wheel drive Audis, for example, the all roads, they're pretty snazzy. Um, probably not the most exciting cars to drive, actually, compared to you know slightly more driver-oriented ones like a BMW. But yeah, it's quite a boring answer. That's the thing. Mm. I saw um, an RS6 sort of burping and farting its way around Bristol the other day, um, and I did have a little. I've got a bit of a crush on them. They're pretty cool. <laughs> What might be a fun question to end on, actually, is it's easy to think about dream cars, but, you know, many of our listeners will be buying a crap car to transport their bikes around in, as we have done in the past. And given, say, no more than 1,500 quid, mm -hmm. what would you buy to haul your bikes? Oh, that's, that's a fantastic question, yeah. I think mine would be um, probably the best or newest best condition uh, Mondeo estate you could find for 1500 quid um, because Good they job. are cavernous inside. Yeah, they really, even the non-estate ones are massive inside, mm. but the estates are just huge. Okay, I'm probably going to go for uh, a golf estate. So it is a bit smaller, it's not quite as roomy, but if you don't have a downhill bike and you've got a trail bike, with the seats down, you could probably get the bike in both wheels on depending on how long it is and whether yeah. you're of a 29er persuasion. Um, and then, yeah, just, I guess, go as new as you can. Best service history, whether it's Mark V or Mark VI, like Golf Estate, it's going to be like reasonably good on fuel, better than a Passat. Um, you can put a rack on it if you want, or you can put bikes in if you want. It's very practical. You can get it in a multi-story car park, easy to get parts for. Um, yeah, I think that would be my pick. What about you, Matthew? 
I'd be very tempted by another Focus, Mark, probably a Mark One. Mark Twos are really cheap now as well, actually. Oh, uh, Focus car. Estate. Okay. Yeah, can't go wrong with that. Or could be tempted if I was going really grotty for car-based, car-derived van or van-derived car, mm. uh, something like a Berlingo, Kangoo, Doblo, one of those. The least the least sexy vehicles in the world, but so practical and so cheap. Their value is like, they're hard to find cheap these days because I think everyone's twigged that actually they're pretty darn good. Yeah, I, I think you just need to get lucky on like Facebook mm. Marketplace or Gumtree or something, don't you? But mm. yeah, very sensible choice. Well, if you are younger and you can't afford to insure a van, uh, I do have a friend who's got a VW Turan and you can actually take the, the seats out of the back and use it as a van. But in terms of, you know, tax and insurance, it's still uh, a car. So that can be quite a clever way around it. I've often thought things like Volkswagen Sharans or Ford Galaxies, you know, if you could like really just strip them out, probably make quite a good, good Yeah, there's, they're huge us. inside those things. Yeah. And actually, uh, honourable mention to our uh, former colleague, Seb Stott's old car. He, um, Seb, you may recall, is a very talented mountain biker who rode very long bicycles. Mm. And he drove a Honda Jazz, Classic. which has probably got the most incredible TARDIS-like interior of any car. Um, with the back seats down, you can get anything in it, mm-hmm. basically. It's, it's like a miniature estate car almost. Um, Suzuki Wagoner on the same same note, actually. Very cool. JDM, bro. JDM. <laughs> you know, Su- Suzuki Carry, again, JDM, mid-engine rear-wheel drive, so you can say it's a proper <laughs> sports car, so there's always that. It's basically okay. a Ferrari. Excellent stuff. Well, um, I think uh, we'll wrap it up there. It's, it's, it's lunchtime. Um, so hopefully there was some, like, consumer advice. Hopefully you're all going to go out and raise the value of those Bilingos and Mondeos and Mark 1 focuses now. Um, good luck finding them. Good luck finding anything at the moment. Second-hand cars cost more than they did a couple of years ago. That's unfortunately true. Mm. Undoubtedly. Everything's getting well expensive, isn't it? Vans. Man, vans are impossible to buy these days. Mm. Yeah, consumer advice. If you've got a limited budget, don't buy a van. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast because then they get beamed straight to your phone or your computer every Monday, some Fridays, and even occasional Wednesdays if you're lucky. Um, But yeah, do keep subscribing, keep listening, share it with your friends. Um, And yeah, thanks very much, Will. Thanks very much, Matthew. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Tom. And uh, we'll be back next Monday. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.